Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we've got a great friend on the show today, and let's get right to that introduction. But first, let me say this show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, as well as a partnership with the Compassionate Friends. Heidi, want to introduce our guest? Sure, I'd be honored to, Mom. We're going to talk today about traumatic loss with an international expert on this topic, and her name is Dr. Joanne Cacciatore. She is the founder of the Miss Foundation, and she is currently a professor at Arizona State University. Her area of expertise is traumatic death, specifically child death, and she is an acclaimed public speaker on this topic. Her life changed profoundly in 1994 when her daughter, Cheyenne, died. Welcome to the show, Joanne. Thank you both very much. It's great to speak with you again. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you on the show again. We're so impressed with with all the work you do. Now, you you said you have a center in Sedona. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, yeah, we have a center here, Center for Loss and Trauma, and I, I primarily work with parents whose babies and children have died or are dying. And um, at this moment, they come from around the world. People come from around the world. People who are in need mostly of um, some good clinical support, who have tried lots of different interventions and and are really, really continuing to struggle with some of the long-term negative effects of the death of their child or children um, and the trauma, especially the trauma that goes along with that. So um, we do, I do a lot of you know, intensive work. Sometimes people come for a day-long retreat. Sometimes they come for uh, two or three days of intensives. And sometimes I've had some people um, who've come for a month or longer um, and and kind of moved to Sedona temporarily to do some important work on their grief and their trauma. Wow, Sedona is beautiful. Do you go hiking with them? Uh, Yes, sometimes we do hikes. Uh, I'm definitely kind of an outside-the-four-walls person. Um, so we do some ecotherapy. Um, I teach, you know, contemplative practices and meditation when people are ready, if they're open. I'm a big barefoot hiker, so sometimes people will actually barefoot hike with me as a mindfulness practice. I saw that you were a um, barefoot hiker. So you hike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, I actually have I soft guess after feet. Losing a child, I, I guess after losing a child, Joanne, there's no fear, right? So, I mean. Yeah, yeah. One, one thing I love about you is that you're not only a professional and you are unbelievable with your, your qualifications just don't end but you're not only professional but you're also someone that has experienced the death of a child personally and I'm wondering yeah. if your personal loss the death of your daughter Cheyenne has changed the way that you practice or the way that you look at grief and loss oh yeah I mean that's it's a seismic event isn't it like mm-hmm. to lose some to, to lose something someone so precious and beloved to you I mean, everything changes, every cell in your body hurts, and and you're, you know, really catapulted into a whole new world. You don't have any choice but to change. It's what's the change going to look like? I mean, because it changes you, you're altered, irreparably, irremediably altered, and it's, you know... When you, when you emerge from, you know, the really, really dark, acute, raw, sharp grief, what does it look like for you and what are you able to, to make from it? In, in my particular practice, I mean, my daughter's death and staying connected to the, to the pain that I feel in her absence, um, helps me to be in that space with other people because I'm not afraid of it. I've been there and I've, yeah. and I've allowed myself to experience it. So I really trust myself in that space. And that's part of the problem with clinicians is it's it's a terrifying thing if you're working with someone whose three-year-old son died of cancer and you have a three-year-old son at home, 
it's terrifying to sit in that space when you contemplate the possibility that what makes this person different from me and you see that you're not invulnerable. Right. And if you're a clinician who's who's prone to reacting to fear, then then consciously or unconsciously there's this almost there's this um, gap, this chasm between us and the other. We have to make ourselves somehow different, and we can't join them because we don't feel safe doing so. so and I think, and I think that's for a lot of people, too, uh, are feeling yeah. that way yeah. and, uh, and yeah. avoid the brief. Well, let me ask you one. What do you think the biggest challenges are for bereaved parents? So what have you seen as some of the biggest? Well, in my experience working with brief parents who really have some kind of elongated um, difficulties coping, I, when I often look into the social system, it's apparent to me why. There's a, there's a, um, a really tangible lack of, of non-judgmental social support. There's a tangible lack of, of feeling like they belong or connection to others. Um, perhaps their loss is disenfranchised, so people make assumptions about their child or the way their child died. Or perhaps it's a very public, I've worked in some, some, with some parents whose, whose children died in very public ways. And those kinds of losses can really complicate things because then everyone kind of assumes that child who died is theirs and their child's name and their face are used for different things. All of those kinds of things, the way that society responds and reacts to the death of a child really has an influence on the way we come to our grief experience. So it's not really an individual experience only or influenced only by the individual. It's also influenced by the ways in which others interact with the individual. The way that others treat us is one of the one of the most significant in my clinical experience um, problems for bereaved parents in terms of navigating the world again after loss. If everybody thinks that we should be over it, let's say, or we should be in a different place, then we start to question ourselves and say, "What's wrong yes. with me? Should I be in a different space? Should I be on what's going on with my life? Should I be?" You know, and that's why I love organizations like Compassionate Friends where bereaved parents can mm. get together with other bereaved parents and say, what I'm going through is normal. There's nothing wrong with that's me. Right. No, I'm going yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You call when you don't trust yourself, when, when what you're feeling, which is normal, is called into question, and you start to doubt yourself, then you start to, to, to lose trust in yourself and in your heart. Which, which feels like a terrible tragedy on top of a tragedy. And so uh, one of the things that I like to talk about is finding safe people. Not everybody is good grief support. And some of your old friends will leave, and you will not see them again. Or you may see them in 10 years, and you're going to have to decide whether or not you accept them back in your life again. Right. This is true. Um, discernment, you know. And, and I think people need permission to say, Right now, these are the people I need around me, and right now, I just need a little break from this, from these people. And it's a hard thing because sometimes there are people who were who were very close to before the loss. Um, I, but I'm of the belief that good self care and putting yourself first, while we're kind of taught that that's, you know, perhaps naughty behavior or narcissistic. But in a loss, when you have an acute wound. You know, when you're wounded, if you if you accidentally cut off a finger, people don't expect you to take care of other people. They say, no, 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 tend to your finger. So in acute loss, I encourage people, let's take care of you right now. Let's focus on what's best for you right now. And then later, you'll be, you know, much more better equipped emotionally and socially and even physically, if you've taken good care of yourself, to then 
when you're ready, turn around and then take care of other people. You know, I wanted to talk about length of time for grief because it sounds to me like uh, in your center in Sedona, you're working with some people who are out there a little bit further in their grief and still aren't resolving it. I like the idea that it's never too late and also that it can be too early. I mean, you may need just to have to live through it for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, I've done crisis intervention work, which is generally kind of the acute grief. I've had people who have come to me. For example, one woman I work with who it's been 28 years for her, and she began kind of using substances as a means to cope with her extreme pain and trauma and flashbacks and, you know, all kinds of really painful things for her. Um, And alcohol was the only thing that gave her relief. And then she's looking back on her life and has really lost 28 years. And now she's saying, you know, I don't want the end of my life to look like this. Well, good for her. And I want to deal with this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It takes tremendous amount of courage, right? Right. Absolutely. I like what you said, people in early grief, five years. I don't think people realize how long it takes to deal with this. Heidi and I always say, if you're a therapist and you want uh, immediate results, you like quick results, grief and loss work is not the area to go into. That's the truth. That's the truth. So the way nurses and doctors and and first responders treat bereaved parents actually has lasting effects. Can you know you're not going to make as a as a as a provider in the early acute acute trauma. You're not going to make it a beautiful experience, but you can minimize the trauma. Certainly, transgressions will maximize the trauma. So you add trauma to trauma, um, and. And yet, you know, really acute grief lasts much, much longer. The the people telling us that after a few months you should be okay, perhaps that's not the most sage advice. Right. Perhaps that's not the natural really, trajectory. I think this is really important information and research, Joanne. We have to be careful about comparing the death of a child to other losses. And, right. it's, you know, if you're still feeling a lot of pain three and four, two and three and four years later, it's not because you're pathological. It's a normal response to losing a child. It's something that's so non-normative and out of the normal thing to bury your child. So I, right. I love that you've done research on this and are showing right. that it takes this, this long. Aren't you, don't you think that's a great thing, Mom? Yeah, I really do. I've always said that. But that's not that you don't live your life. I mean, you still go along and live your life. It's that you, um, you know, are still having certain coping things and certain things. Um, that that come along, you know, and it's, I think there's a tendency right. sometimes for bereaved people to have this big black hole and they just dump everything into it and say, well, this all happened because of that. But, you know, life happens along the way. I mean, life goes on and other people live and die and, you well, know, during the process. Like you said, you're not grieving 24-7. You're visiting the grief and then you're you're getting distracted in your world. It's the dual process. You're going back and forth between living and thinking about the grief. You're not always in it. Well, one of the, I think one of the disservices that we do in our, in our culture in the West is we, we perpetuate this myth that if you're happy, you can't be sad, and if you're sad, you can't be happy. And the truth is that we, we can live, we can experience beauty and joy and happiness and contentment and peace and love and all that stuff while we're simultaneously experiencing grief and despair, it, it, the, that they can coexist. And so I grieve every day for the people I I wish were still here, whom I love very, very deeply. But I also live life pretty big, and I'm very happy, and <laughs> I'm more importantly, I'm content. And I have very, very big joy because I allow the space in my heart 
for both the grief and the joy to coexist. It's a myth that we can't we can't be joyful or content just because we have grief. And I, I mean, I think if you talk to any parent, even 25 or 30 years later, and you ask that parent, do you still feel grief at your child's physical absence? I think almost all most certainly would say yes. But then if you say to them, does life have meaning for you? And are you content or happy? Most all will also say yes. Absolutely. Well, I completely agree. Well, listen, talk a little bit about the Miss Foundation and what you're doing. And uh, you're in Sedona and people can sign up. And where's your website? And tell us all of that good stuff. Sure. Well, um, the Miss Foundation is a is a nonprofit group. We Many of our families have lost very young children. Um, but one of our main programs is um, the Kindness Project, which I love very much, which is a way that we remember our children going out in the world and committing random acts of anonymous kindness. We have little kindness cards, and people can download them for free on our website. They can print them in English and in Spanish. Um, and then we have the uh, Compassionate Bereavement Care certifi- certifi- Certified Provider Training, where we're actually training providers, psychiatrists and psychologists, and we're training them in our mindfulness-based model. You know, we're we're trying to get as many providers trained as we can so that families have somewhere safe to go. As you both probably know, it's very difficult to find providers who truly specialize in traumatic grief, who truly specialize. There are people who say they do, but but really kind of getting it. There are very, very few. The stories I hear from parents sometimes just surprise me, just I'm sure you've heard the story, too. And I always say to, I 100% agree with you, and I always say to my clients, you know, they usually come to me after they've had a bad experience, you know, shop around, and if it doesn't feel right, if it's not a good fit, go find somebody else. Because like you said, there's not a lot of people that specifically understand traumatic loss. That's right. That's right. And it's so important because a good provider can make a huge, huge difference in our ability to cope with grief. Um, and the intensity, especially of grief, as it comes up in the early days of therapy or counseling. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are those are kind of those are our two two of our fav- two of my favorite of our programs. And of course, I'm a huge fan of Compassionate Friends, and we often send families to Compassionate Friends groups as well as an adjunct. It's you know, Compassionate Friends does a beautiful service to so many communities around the world, and. I am I'm constantly you know, oh thank goodness thank goodness thank you goodness. know what I like I like what you said as adjunct because some people think it's either or go to compassionate friends or go to a therapist no, no it's not, you know it's oh, not oh gosh no you can do the combination yeah. so well Joanne yeah th- in fact I was just gonna say in fact the combination is probably a really really good way to go yeah so, so Joanne what would you say to bereaved parents out there if you could leave them with one bit of advice that are not sure how they're going to survive the loss of their child. What I would love to share with people is that that their children's lives matter and to, to share their stories where they can and when they feel safe because those stories, their children lived and they existed even if they're not, they don't physically exist anymore, their stories matter. And, you know, telling those stories is really, really important. Even if just one person hears it, one person's life can be changed through 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 the story of a child who died these children are more alive if we if we tell their stories that they really do live through those stories and not the it's not the way we want it to be it's not the way it should be and yet here we are so you know to continue to tell their stories to continue to remember them and hold them in their hearts that to me is 
one of the most important things that we do, one of our most important duties as parents to these children who died. Oh, Joanne, thank you for that thought. And thanks so much for being on the show today. You're a delight. And, and thank, thank you for all the work you're doing to help the bereaved. Thank you. Thank you both. And thank you both for all you do. Thanks, Joanne. Well, Heidi, uh, it's so interesting talking to Joanne. I can't wait to go uh, online and read her research that she's been doing. So important. I know. I love it. I love that she's putting all this theory and all her practice and everything to research and, and, and showing that the research is supporting what she's been doing, et cetera. It's, it is. It's fabulous. And I want to say, uh, and, you know, thinking about some of the things we talked about on the show today, find yourself, if you've had a loss, find yourself some safe people to help you give yourself permission to grieve and put yourself first right now and don't feel like you have to rush through the process. And thanks for listening to the show today. And Heidi and I want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please feel free to lean on ours till you find your own. And God bless. <laughs>